You're listening to episode 45. This is Grace on Fire. Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, your virtual pastor, and my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. And I hope that today you are crafting and pursuing the purpose that God has designed you this day to accomplish. And well, listen, on today's episode, I am going to be talking about finding true objective objective hope when you're trying to make changes in your life. You know, last episode I talked about and I introduced the idea of change and I introduced uh, Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of continue in that theme of change because listen, every single day we have to evaluate objectively or subjectively, you know, if there's some things in our lives that we need to make change, right? I mean, listen, if we just get stuck doing the same thing and same thing over and over and over again, and we're not really improving, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to kind of move into a period of decline, and that's just true. It just happens. Um, you know, it, this happens in business. If you keep doing and manufacturing and practicing your uh, your business the same way year after year after year, eventually your competitor is going to come into the marketplace with an improvement on what you're doing and uh uh-oh, you're out of business. And that's true in so many different ways. If our parenting doesn't change with our children or if we continue to have a same kind of relationship with our spouse and you're not working to improve that, what do you think is going to happen? Well, the relationship's going to deteriorate a little bit, isn't it? And, you know, trying to find hope then that we can make changes. By the way, hope is is critical to change. If we're going to make changes, well, the question is this, do we have real true hope that it's going to happen or are we just wishing that's going to happen? You know, some, here's some brutal honesty for you today. Okay. You ready? When it comes to any area of your life, you have no objectivity. Let me just say that right up front so that you understand when it comes to your, any area of your life, you do not have any kind of objectivity. So let me kind of tell you why I know this. Well, in leadership, you have a blind spot. All right. In your family life, you have blind spots. And you know, what are blind spots? Well, they're just that. They're things that you're doing that you are oblivious to the effect of what's happening because of your behavior. All right. Because it's just you. And there may be things that you're just not doing, whether you're ignorant uh, or whether your lack of skills, or, or it may just be that you you know you're just having you know your intelligence isn't in that area, emotional intelligence, for example. I mean, you sometimes some of us have to work extra, extraordinarily harder at some things than other. Let me just give you a great example from my own marriage. Okay, so my wife Ivy, you know, she is wired towards people in human relationships and the effect of our actions on other people far more than I am. I'm task-oriented. She's people-oriented. So for me, I actually have to write out a reminder to myself, call this person and ask how they're doing. (laughs) Now, listen, if you've gotten a call from me, 
don't don't get upset about that. I'm actually just trying to practice good relationship management because I I, I just don't do this. Um, I just don't do this naturally. I mean, I you know what I do naturally? I, I push buttons naturally. I create podcasts naturally. I love all the technology and I can totally geek out on the tech um, at different times. But when it comes to building relationships, you know, that's that's not easy for me to do. I have to really work at it. And in fact, the reason one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is so that people can see uh, that, hey, there's there's different sides to, to Smitty here, you know. Um, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, some guy who's preaching or, or leading or whatever else or whoever else, you know, the Reverend Doctor. I mean, when you have the title Reverend Doctor and you wear a little tab, collar tab, you know, people have expectations, you know, and, and I want to say, hey, I'm a real human being. I've got my problems, man. And the fact of the matter is, is that we all have these kind of blind spots and I have them. So what I have found is, is that when I'm confronting a problem in my work as leading a church and leading ministries, that sometimes I'm trying to change things and my blind spots are working and things are happening. I'm like, I just don't know what to do. Why? Because I am completely subjective here. I mean, this is the bottom line. When you're in the midst of things, when you're in the middle of something and you want to try to change it, but you don't know how it's because you have no objectivity. And probably one of the best things that you can do is you can go to a counselor, you can go talk to a friend. I mean, you can just do a lot of different things, but the idea here is is you need some kind of objectivity. And when we talk about hope, I mean, golly, that's the most abstract thing in the world. I mean, how can we really have objective hope? Well, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna go deep uh, back into Henry Cloud's book for a little while and kind of talk through some of the things that he does. And uh, we're also going to get into some street theology because honestly, one of the questions when it comes to hope is how can we have hope? And the answer is, how is hope related to our trust in God? So we're going to talk about that. Plus, I have a very important tip of the week for you. So let's roll as we move forward into Grace on Fire, Grace Nation. Get ready because we're cooking and rolling today. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. So in my last episode, uh, last time, episode 44, you can check that out at GOF44. That's JonathanGSmith.com forward slash GOF44. I don't, I slash, slash. I have such a hard time saying slash. Anyways, last time I talked about introducing this idea of God's covenant. And I said that one of the most basic things, one of the most basic kinds of uh, biblical ideas is this idea of God's covenant and the, the way that God relates to us through his covenant. And if you recall what I said was that God's covenant to us, the covenant that he makes with us, it demonstrates his loyalty. And I'm actually beginning to believe that when it comes to certain things in our lives and in our relationships uh, with God, that sometimes we forget of God's loyalty. And so I want to kind of break that, bring that loyalty idea to another aspect, and that is to our prayer life. And the reason why I, and if you've heard me talk on this show for any length of time, you will know that I am very big on prayer. And I'm not just talking about little prayers, and I'm not talking about just God prayers and sort of uh, fluffy prayers. I'm talking about deep, 
thoughtful, meditative prayer, the kind of prayer that can only be done through liturgical practice. Check that out. If you want to know a little bit more about that, you can go into my show notes and I'll link to a episode there at GOF 45. But anyways, what I, what we need to understand is the idea of God's covenant when he responds to us. Now, Jesus picks up, and you know, Jesus was the master of of human beings. He understood human beings. He was a human being. Um, and, you know, he really, uh, I, I think he just understood our natural inclination not to believe God. And so, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11, he's teaching on prayer. And this is what he says. Okay, listen to this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son will ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or also, if he will ask for a fish, will give him a snake? Therefore, if you, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, right off the, the bat here, you're probably saying, okay, you know, uh, Pastor Smitty here, let me just ask you a question. It says right up there in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. And I've asked God for a lot of things, and frankly, I haven't gotten it. And so I just want you to know right up front that uh, sometimes it's just frustrating to me because I don't get my prayers answered. Now, I, I got to tell you this. I understand exactly where you're coming from. I, I have prayed many, many, many prayers over the years where I just felt like the answer wasn't coming. And the problem with that is this is what happens, is that you ultimately begin to doubt God. You're like, okay, I've prayed for this, and I've prayed for this, and I've prayed for this, and you know what? It just hasn't happened. Now, remarkably, one of the things that I've encountered in my life, and um, as I get older now, and I'm, you know, I'm in my 40s now, okay? You know, woohoo, 40, love it. But, um, you know, when I was younger, I really struggled with this idea because I would pray for things and it didn't happen. So then I would give up on prayer. Right. But as I begin to listen to people's testimonies over the years about their prayer life and, you know, and the effect that it had, one of the things that I heard was how their prayers began to change. In other words, God didn't answer their prayer or their request would probably be a more accurate way of saying it. And instead of requesting the same thing over and over and over again, they actually began to change their prayers and modified their prayers and began to see once they modified those prayers on how um, God began to answer them. All right. So what I want to do with this little passage of scripture is reverse the logic. Okay. Because Jesus, he basically, you know, tells us right here he says this, he says, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you'll knock, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open to you. And then he goes on in verse eight, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one knocks will open, all right? So he, he kind of gives you this little bit of a riddle. But then he does something in verses nine through 11 that I think is, I think is actually really cool, okay? Because what he says, he says now, he says, what man is there? What and this is, this is the role of the father now, okay? Because he talks about a, father-son relationship. So he says here in verse 9, or what man is there among you if his son, okay, so what are we doing here? Verse 9, 
And we're talking about a father and a son relationship. We're talking about a parental relationship, all right? And he says, if a son will ask for, him for a bread, we'll give him a stone. Now think about that for a moment. I've got kids, right? And um, my kids, all the time, they ask me for different things. Sometimes I say no. Sometimes I say yes. You know, my daughter, she likes sweets like her dad. And so I've noticed that if we don't watch it for her and help her with this, you know what ends up happening? She will just crush the sweets, right? I mean, she'll go just on a total binge and just go through all the sweets. So sometimes she'll come up to me, dad, dad, can I have a cookie? And I'm evaluating the things that she's probably consumed that day. I'll say yes or no. All right. But what I won't do is just constantly say no, because I'm trying to think one, I know that she just wants the pleasure of what the sweets will give her. And number two, I'm also trying to think that if there's anything harmful that will happen. And I think that this is where Jesus is driving. He's not talking about giving everything that you desire or getting everything you desire. But what he's actually talking about is the wisdom of answering your request. All right, now it goes on. Or also, if he will ask for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Now, let's reverse the logic. What if a son were to go to the father, all right, and ask him for a stone to eat, and instead the man gives bread? Or what if he asks for a snake? And instead, he gives him a fish. You see, the stone and the bread, the fish and the snake, are two polar opposites, aren't they? If you eat a rock, it's not going to give you any nutritional benefit. Plus, it will harm you because you have a rock now in your stomach and break your teeth and get choke on it, whatever. The idea is that the son thinks that by eating the stone, that he will derive some kind of benefit or pleasure from it. Or a snake. Let's consider the snake, for example. A snake in the Bible is very often the portrait and the um, metaphor for evil. And therefore, what if the son asks for something evil and the father knows that it's evil? And instead of giving the, the son something evil, he gives something good and healthy, i.e. the fish. Now listen to verse 11, because this is going to tie all of this together. Therefore, if you, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children out of wisdom, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In other words, he is not out about, you know, meeting our needs, or excuse me, actually, let me rephrase that. He's not about meeting our demands or our wants or, or our desires. What he's really out there is to give us things that are good for us. And that's really hard to understand, isn't it? Because sometimes I think what happens here, and as it relates to hope and to prayers, what I think really what happens here is that sometimes we think we're praying for good things. And we are praying for change. We want something to change. And we think that, you know, as an example here, that if we don't get out of this, then, you know, something bad's going to happen. And in some ways that's true. And we're going to unpack that a little bit as we get further into this. But what I'm asking you to consider here for just a moment is this. If you pray for something and God doesn't immediately answer your prayer, doesn't that mean that the Father's wisdom is at work? And doesn't that mean also that you have to trust him? And doesn't that also mean that in order for you to trust him, your view of God as being a loving, loyal father is imperative? 
it's almost in other words that you have to get to a place where you where you believe that god knows better for you than you know for you and as adults that's hard as you know in our relationship with our children we understand but as our relationship as adults with the father let's just face it we think we know what we need and it's true it's really true but beloved listen to me we don't know because god is infinite and we are finite he is supreme governor of the universe and we are ants in comparison and i think that it's always important and imperative to realize that even though that we are infinitely smaller than god because god is infinitely bigger than he is that what we have to remember is that he still has our very best interest at heart and how that works itself out in the grand scheme of things and, and you know we could go on and talk about the problem of evil and evil and the role of evil in this world and all these bad things that happen etc but what we have to realize and ultimately cling to is that god is working everything out for good according to his riches and glory and sometimes sometimes that is so dip- difficult for us to look at in the immediate context of where we are but it is imperative for us over the long term to grasp hold of that reality. And now for Smitty's Life Hack Tip of the Week. And my tip of the week is rest. Get some rest. Yesterday I was at church and something just really, it was just kind of funny. And this is what happens sometimes, you know, people, they get with me as their priest and their pastor and they'll they'll look at me and they'll, you know, they just sort of let it hang out. You know, they, they people say things in front of me uh, at times and tell me things that they would never dare uh, talk with anybody else. And that, you know, that's just part of my role as a pastor. And I'm glad that people do that because it tells me that they trust me. And that's really important in being a pastor. And it's also a privilege of being a pastor that sometimes that you can you get to bear the 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 you can bear with people some of the challenges that they have. Well, anyways, I was talking with a parishioner yesterday, and this parishioner was saying how overloaded uh, she was. And I really just, I mean, she's just really going through a lot of stuff right now. And uh, what ended up happening was then her husband said something, and then they had a little spat right in front of me at church over schedules. And I realized something. I said, you know, you've got to get some rest. And, And rest is so important because, you know, if you think about what the Bible says, that on the seventh day, God rested and the truth of the matter is, is that there's such, that's such a broader category than what we think it is, but rest is so critical. Because when you can just get a good night's sleep and uh, refreshed and you take some time off, you can get back and tackle that heavy workload. But if you are going seven days a week, nonstop, 24-7, and you are not resting, that is a surefire uh, recipe for burning out. And listen, if you're like me and you like to pack your schedule, I mean, I love to pack my schedule, I would go seven days a week if I could, but I gotta tell you, it's not healthy. In the long run, it will burn you out. It will burn you out at the cellular level. It's not just mental, it's cellular. You're actually wearing your body out. And so here's a couple things that you need to look for. If you are finding yourself irritable, um, if you are finding yourself exhausted or fatigued, you know, that's probably a good indication that you need to get some rest. And so here's a quick way to prevent it. Just look at your calendar and evaluate it 
and tell me if you can honestly point to your calendar and say, yes, I rested on this day. If you cannot do that, then guess what? You probably need to owe, or you probably owe yourself a time for rest. Listen, schedule it, get it on your calendar, because I'm telling you, if you don't do it, you're going to crash and burn, and then you're going to have problems later down the road. And now it's time for our feature presentation. And on this feature presentation, we are talking about how to cultivate real hope that will change your life. Brothers and sisters, today I hope that you have some hope. And that's the reason why I'm just trying to bring this out to you today is because, listen, hope is so critical. Without hope, we have no possibility for change. You know, President Obama, when he was first running for president eight years ago, he talked about hope and change. And he talked about how we need to bring hope then hope that change will happen. And, and, you know, people loved it and they voted for him. And, and, and that was one of the biggest things that his platform uh, was. I mean, I, I think about President Obama and, and I'm not a big President Obama fan. Um, I'm not really a fan of any presidents, frankly. But if you think about that platform that he ran on, hope and change. I mean, isn't that something that we're talking about today? Hope and change. We're talking about if, you know, trying to craft your life for a higher purpose. And one of the things that you need to have is hope that you can actually do that. Now, listen, by the way, let me just go right on record here and say this. All right. This is not about a destination. This is about a journey. Okay. Crafting your life for a higher purpose is not about a destination, it's about a journey. And let me tell you when the journey ends. It ends on your deathbed. When you look back at your life and say, you know what, I am, I am so glad that I, I spent the time and I invested in my life and I can honestly say that I lived a satisfying life and I don't have any regrets. Let me just say something. You've crafted your life for a higher purpose. And if that purpose ultimately is wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus Christ, let me just say you're the winner. But none of us are there yet. None of us are there yet. Let me just say that this is one of the things that I love about what I'm doing right now. Even though I have a lot of things that are that are happening, I've got some scary things that are happening. Let me just give you a good example. If things don't change at my church, I may be looking for a job at the end of the year. That's what's happening. And now I've had to evaluate that and I've had to kind of reconcile the emotions from all of that. And I've had to process that. And the truth is, is that I'm not going anywhere. I have decided this is what I am called to do right now, which is to be a virtual pastor, which is also Pastor Redeemer Church. And I believe that God is going to show up. Now, how do I and why do I believe that? Because of hope. And that's really where I'm driving today. It's because of hope that even in the midst of big, big, daunting challenges, can we have legitimate hope? Can we have it? I think that the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes, that we can have a sobriety or excuse me, we can have a sober hope, sober hope being the idea that in the midst of everything that's taking place, you can still have hope that something positive will come out of it all. And you don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know what it's going to take. 
and you know it's going to be a lot of work, but because it's a journey and not a destination, that as you go through this journey that you're on, whatever it is that you're facing, for me, it's this journey of financial uh, challenges that Redeemer's having, that going through this journey, that at the end of this journey, there is going to be something that is positive, and that is called hope. And that's what we want to understand today. So let's kind of talk about a couple of things, a couple of ideas. We're going to get back into necessary endings with Henry Cloud. But before I do that, I want to kind of just give like a definition of hope in the Bible. And this comes from uh, a Bible dictionary, Tyndale uh, Bible Dictionary. It's a pretty good dictionary. And this was written back in 2001. So it's it's a little bit of an older dictionary, but I think it, it still applies. Okay, so here it is. So this is how the Tyndale Dictionary uh, defines hope. Hope is an expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. Okay, hope is an expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. All right, now you can look at this for a moment, just kind of peer down into the future of your life, and you're saying, this is what I hope, this is my desire. And I believe that this desire is going to help. All right? That's what it is. It's the expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. Now, here's the problem. All right? And I love this because Tyndale goes right into this. And by the way, the guys who wrote this definition was Walter Uhl and Philip Comfort. Um, and these both these guys uh, are very, very um, uh, accomplished scholars. I've, I've run across their work many, many times. So th- this is no, you know you know, layperson's idea. I mean, this is a legitimate, scholarly, thoughtful approach. Now, this is what they say. So immediately they talk about the expectation or belief and the fulfillment of something desired. However, present hurts and uncertainty over what the future holds creates the constant need for hope. All right. Now, they say that there's this something that's going to happen in the future and it's the expectation that this will happen. However, it also includes that there's a reality that these present hurts and uncertainties of what the future holds creates a need for it. Now, this is the critical piece of this, okay? You know, I'm just kind of looking at my situation right now, and, and it's kind of scary, just to be honest with you. It's kind of scary to look at our finances at the church right now and say, wow, it's just it's just not improving. It's getting a little bit worse. And it's forcing us to have to do some things um, that, you know, I don't want to do and that nobody wants to do. But it, in the long run, I think it's actually going to be better for us. But it's painful. All right. And so I think that's what the present hurts and uncertainty is in the face of uncertainty in life. You must have some kind of constant variable in place in order to point to. That's the key. You need to have some kind of objectivity in life to be able to point to in order to have positive hope. He, they go on. Worldwide poverty, hunger, disease, human potential, and human potential to generate terror and destruction create a longing for something better. Historically, people have looked to the future with a mixture of longing and fear, Many have concluded that there is no reasonable basis for hope, and therefore that to hope is to live with an illusion. However, Scripture tells us that those who do not have God do not have hope. And I love that because here is this, you know, here's the problem. 
Consider World War II for just a moment and just the carnage that took place in Western Europe and Eastern Europe, really, but all of Europe. Consider just the carnage that the Europeans did to one another in that war. I mean, it it impacted a generation of people and it's actually impacted a number of generations. I actually have a theory about this. Most of the problems that we're dealing with today in terms of faith, in terms of Christianity and the challenges of Christianity and all of the moral issues, the ethical issues, all of it, I believe, is directly a result of the evil that took place in World War II. That war just wreaked havoc on families for generations, on cities and cultures for generations. And I still do not believe that we have fully understood uh, the impact of that war. And um, we could go back to previous wars as well, and we could you know, keep pointing back and say, well, okay, well, what about this war and that war and that war and that war? And I think that's all true. But what happened, you know, almost 100 years ago now, it hasn't been quite 100 years, it's about 80 years ago, uh, but what happened back then was significant. It was significant. And so I think that what we have to realize this is that in the midst of all of this, we're all looking for something that's greater than ourselves and greater than this world. And ultimately, that comes from God. And that's why, as Christians, we have an advantage. It's also why it's critical for us to understand who God is and what he's done. All right, so they go on and they talk about this idea. Biblical hope is hope in what God will do in the future. At the heart of Christian hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they go on to say, Christian hope is securely based upon the words and actions of God. The promises of God have proven to be dependable. Now, what are they saying here? Ultimately, as Christians, we believe that God's words and his actions actually mirror together. All right? God's words and God's actions are actually interconnected. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, sometimes as Christians, we talk about this relationship with God. I'm going to go back to that for just a moment. But what we need to realize is, is that our relationship with God is based upon objective, verifiable facts in history. God has moved in this way, this way, this way, and this way. And ultimately, it is based upon the truth and the reality of the resurrection that God came down into the world. He lived he died and he was resurrected. That event, all right? It's not in a subjective feeling of how I feel about God. It's an objective fact that this is what God has done. It's based upon the actions of God, all right? And the reason why that's so important is because as the, you know, as these scholars are talking about, is these scholars are telling us basically that in the face of everything else that we deal with in life, in an ongoing basis, where do we find any kind of other legitimate security in this life? And the answer is we can't. That's why going back to um, what Scripture says, at the at what they were saying at the very beginning, Scripture tells us that those who do not have God do not have hope. All right? So in order to have hope that anything's going to change positively in your life and to, any, and to really begin to develop hope in your families and in your life, etc., you first of all have to have 
a relationship with God. All right. And so that's just the critical piece. All right. So now we've got to get into a second piece of this. And this is really where um, we were in last time with Henry Cloud. And I think it's important, you know, that we go back to this because sometimes we get these two confused. And that is, what is the difference between hoping and wishing? Well, right up front, you can probably say that, well, the, the difference between hope and wishing is that hoping is based upon objective, objective facts, whereas wishing is just wishing that something will happen. I, listen, I can wish that unicorns will show up on my doorstep for the rest of my life, and it ain't gonna happen. I can wish that I sprout wings and go up to the moon, it's just not going to happen because, you know, a wish is just a wish. Disney World is made out of wishes. You can wish upon a star uh, all day long. It doesn't matter who you are. But guess what? It ain't going to happen. And that's that's sort of what I'd call the myth of our culture. You know, that we as a culture, as a people, we just really want to we really just want wishes to be true. And they're just not. All right. So let's get into this. All right. So let's talk about the role of hope and why it's so important. Again, Cloud, going back to what Henry Cloud said, he says this, hope is one of the most hope is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. With hope, we can endure almost anything. All right? And certainly more than if we lose it or don't have it to begin with. Consider just a moment Vietnam veterans, all right? And those who were in uh, prisoner of war camps, the ones who survived were the ones that had hope that they would get out there. I mean, any uh, there's been tons of studies done on prisoner of war survivors and just what it took for them to kind of endure that brutality through that period of time. And what you find time and time again was that they kept clinging to hope that it would change, that it would, it would just, uh, they just had to survive it more and more. And those who lost hope, ultimately fell in despair and ultimately died and they didn't survive all right and i think that that's really really important here but we need to understand something here okay it goes on to say with hope we can endure almost anything and certainly more than if we lose it or don't have it to begin with in short hope keeps us going and that is the problem hope buys time and spends it now here is the key all right what if you're in a bad situation? What if you are in a bad situation? What if you're in a bad situation at work and you just keep hoping that it's going to improve? What if you're in a bad situation in terms of a bad relationship with your employer and you're just hoping that it's going to change? Now that's the key thing here. Remember, we're talking about looking for some kind of objective, verifiable fact that in the face of reality, something will change, all right? And we're talking here about the differences between hoping and wishing. So what hope does, and it's and I think, and I really do believe that there's not that big a difference between hoping and wishing, all right? Um, but we want to address that. When we understand that it's the role of objectivity in there is part of this, then we can try to realize what hope is doing in our lives. All right. I keep hoping that this will happen, but well, I just keep hoping that this will happen. But I mean, have you ever said those words? I mean, I think that, you know, I think that we're both. And, you know, as I'm talking with you today and you're listening to this, 
think about some areas of your life where you, you're really hoping that something is going to improve and it just doesn't. All right. What kind of objective objection, what kind of objective and verifiable fact do you have that it, that is going to improve? All right. That's one of the questions that Henry Cloud will ask. And the reason why he asks this important question is because of what hope does. It buys time and it spends time. All right. It's amazing how long you can endure something when you have hope. But the problem is, is that it's spending your time. And year after year, decade after decade, if you're putting your hope in the wrong things, guess what? You are spending your life. And that's why this is so important, isn't it? All right, because the question is, if you're going to craft your life for a higher purpose, there has to be something that's going to give way in your life because to order to craft your life for a higher purpose, our ultimate purpose in serving and worshiping God, that if you're going to do that, then something else has to give. And sometimes we are just too subjective. And that goes all the way back to our opening. Sometimes we're just too subjective. And, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I've been in work situations, uh, particularly where I've just looked at the situation and I've said, you know, I thought, well, if I can just get through here. And actually what's funny about that is a couple of years ago, I was in this bad situation. I've talked about it. And um, my wife's like, you know, I'm so tired of you saying that. And I was like, well, what am I saying? And this is what she said. She said, I'm so tired of you just saying, you know, if I can just get through this month, then if you have you ever just said that? Well, if I can just get through this time, then what are you saying? Well, you're having hope that you, you're just trying to endure whatever problem that you're encountering, and that's all you're doing is just enduring, and you're not really changing. I'm gonna tell you something right there. If you're finding yourself in that situation, and if you're saying those words, you need to stop for a moment just for a day or for five minutes and say, wow, why am I saying those words? Anyways, so Cloud goes on and he says this, Hope is designed to give us more time so that whatever we are hoping for can come to pass, right? Because sometimes you're trying to work on something and it hasn't happened yet and you need time because time is one of those critical variables in life that it just takes time to do anything. Um, however, it sometimes creates problems though, particularly, and here it is, if we are not in touch with reality. In that case, it is hope that keeps us going down a road that has no realistic change of being the right road or making what we want to come to pass. All right. Now that I think is really important here because what hope can do is false hope can actually continue to push us down a road that's leading nowhere. And I talked about that last week when I was talking about ruts, right? It's pushing us down a road that we're not going anywhere. All right. Then that's what he says. False hope buys us more time to spend on something that is not going to work and keeps us from seeing the reality that is at once our biggest problem and our greatest opportunity, okay? And this is what wishing is, all right? The difference between hoping and wishing ultimately is that hope is based upon an objective reality, all right? This is, you know, I believe that this will work because this has happened. And that could be a plan that's in place for improvement it could be a leadership change that's in, that's in place. Uh, it could be that you have put some new personal habits in place 
in order to buy time in order to get you down the road of where you want to be. For example, maybe you're stuck in a job and um, you are looking down and you don't like it and you decide, well, I'm just going to start interviewing and job hunting. And in this job hunting process, you've decided to allocate maybe 20 minutes a night or 20 minutes a day somewhere in your time frame to look for jobs. And then you've allocated some time to apply. Right. So now you have a plan. You can actually endure the job that you're in because you are now allocating some time in your week to look for other job because you believe that at some point shifting out of that job is going to be an improvement in your life. That's true hope. But listen, in the absence of that kind of work, if you're not doing anything, then all you're doing is wishing. And I think that that's the critical piece of all of this. And that is looking for that objective plan in place that you're working that's going to lead to some kind of positive outcome, all right? And that's true of whether you're starting a business, running a business, or whatever it is. But sometimes, if you're just trying to endure and I just hope it gets better and you have no objective plan, let me just tell you right now, you're not going anywhere and you're not making any progress, all right? And I think that's the biggest problem here is because you're not seeing the reality that has to be dealt with. And that's one of the key things where I go back here. Subjectivity. In my situation at my church, what I've discovered is, is that I'm massively subjective. And so people are like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. So one of the things that I had to do was I had to bring an outside voice, a third party voice into the situation to evaluate the situation in order to give me some kind of idea if I was just beating my head against the wall or not, because I didn't know. And you know what was great about it? And this is what I love. I brought a guy in and, um, you know, he said, Jonathan, this is what he said. He said, Jonathan, you have all the makings of a great church. Man, that was awesome. And that's why I love my church. I mean, I just love my church. Do we have problems? Absolutely. But that's what he said. He goes, you have all the makings of a great church. And he said, there's just some things that we need to do to improve. And I'm like, see, now that's objectivity. Because this was a man who had been in the ministry for a long time. He had loads of experience. He has seen a lot more different scenarios than I have in my lifetime. And he brings with him uh, just the kind of perspective that I needed in order to move forward. And you see the difference now? So now I can actually point back to that move and I can actually say, hey, look, this guy has the experience that I needed. And he was telling me, hey, don't don't give up on this. And sometimes what happens is, is that we we look for information that we want to hear versus the information that we need to hear. I wasn't looking for him to say that. I was actually kind of surprised. Not that I was surprised, not that I was negative or anything. I was just, it was just glad to hear that, hey, we had some good things going here, that we were moving in the right direction, and also that um, we had the makings of a great church. How encouraging is that? All right. Now, is that false hope? Well, listen, false hope buys us more time to spend on something that's not going to work, right? That's what false hope is, and that's ultimately wishing. That's what it is. It buys us more time, even though it's not going to work. And I think that in our lifetimes that we have to remember this, that false hope is the great deception of the enemy, all right? And if you're a Christian, you're listening to this, you know, that's the great deception. 
it's just buying us time, but it's not going to change. And I think it's important that you put a plan in place in order to, you can look at it and say, okay, I, I have this objective evidence here, and this is why I believe that some things are going to change, all right? And so this is where I want to leave you today. In the absence of objectionable, um, you know, I'm just not getting it right today. In the absence of objective evidence that anything should change, why should we have hope? And I want to go back to this, all right? You may be at a place right now where you're saying, Jonathan, listen, I'm tracking with you, but I just have not come to any kind of place of, of objective evidence. I, I don't have anything, and I'm really lost, and I'm struggling, and I'm not sure where to turn. Let me just point you back to the objective evidence that you have at the cross, all right? We believe as Christians that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. Think about that for just a moment. He was raised from the dead. That's amazing. I mean, a dead man was walking. A dead man walked. And I think that for us is that we can point back to that ultimately and say, look, if God can do this, if God can resurrect a dead body that had been completely brutalized and completely uh, destroyed in so many ways through the bloody crucifixion, all right, and through the bloody Roman crucifixion, if God can resurrect a body in that condition, then what can he do for you? And that's the thing about it. And I think that ultimately hope should drive us back to our knees and drive us to pray. And this is why prayer is so important in your life, all right, is that if you are facing some things in your life that you're just desperate to change, you need to pray on those things. And believe it or not, if you go to my website, you can go to jonathangsmith.com forward slash GOF45. I'll have a link there. I think that one of the key things for liturgy is that you have to craft your prayers. You need to write those prayers out, pray them, and meditate on them. And if you're in some kind of area that you're hoping to change, why not write it out today and pray it every single day? And just see what happens. Just see what God does and answering that prayer. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And my prayer for you is that this will help you craft your life for a higher purpose. Thank you so much. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verve Creative production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit jonathangsmith.com slash graceonfire.